1: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
3: Welcome to Move the Sticks. I'm Bucky Brooks and I am here without my partner, Daniel Jeremiah, but this is going to be an exciting show today. I have my man, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic coming on to talk all things football. And if you know Bruce, you know that he is well connected and well plugged in. Man, let's just jump right to it. Let's get to my conversation with Bruce Feldman. Bruce, one of the big things that's really impacted college football has been the NIL name, image and likeness. When you talk to coaches and administrators, how has it impacted just the way teams are being built in the
4: college landscape? Bucky, I think the hardest thing for coaches is they don't know really exactly how it's going to land, meaning like what will uh they be able to do? What will they be able to offer? How will it differ from somebody they're recruiting against? I think there's a lot of stuff up in the air. Um, you know, it was interesting. I had a conversation probably about 10 days ago with, I don't want to say who it is, but it's somebody we both know who's a college athlete who we knew through the elite 11, really bright guy. And, um, we had this conversation about kind of how he saw it playing out for, for people like him, who's not like a superstar name, but is a good player with a sizable social media following. And he was talking about, you know, as you know, most guys who are college football players, they were probably the star in their local community. And so does that mean you could run a camp uh, in your hometown or in your area and maybe charge $25 or $50? And, you know, for a lot of kids, that's that could be good money. That could be, you know, if you do yeah. two over the course of a week and a half or two weeks, that could be, you know, $5,000. But he made an interesting point. He said, you know, at my school, some of the gymnasts are like rock stars and they have huge followings. And so you take a lot of female athletes, especially when, you know, male athletes, we think of, we think of football and basketball that those, if you're great at it, those leagues are going to pay you a lot. Some of these other sports don't really have that kind of, uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow necessarily. And so he was like, made the case. There's a lot of female athletes who I think are really have a chance to make a lot of benefit here because they do have big followings and yet maybe the sports they are, it's not like they're on national TV every weekend. So how those schools are able to help leverage that I think is, is a challenge, but also a lot of like strength and conditioning programs, you know, they have like a tailor-made plan for Johnny Smith, who might be a a tight end. And for Joe Jones, who might be a running back or whatever, they have the specifics for how their bodies are. Are schools doing real deep dives into each individual athlete, student athlete to say, OK, this kid has... These interests, this connections, this is where he's from, this is his social media footprint right now. How can we help them? Because there is a lot of opportunity there. Now, it may not be Reggie Bush kind of money that, like, mm-hmm. if you're a, if you're just like kind an of iconic player, but I'm sure when you look back at your North Carolina team, there's probably more than a few guys who didn't make it to the NFL who probably could have benefited really nicely if the school and the program really were out in front and embraced it.
3: You know, it's funny, Bruce, there, there are a couple of different things in that conversation that came to mind. You talked about guys being uh, really big stars in their hometown and how they could benefit. So then I think about some of these programs that throw throw a fence up around their backyard where they really dominate in-state recruiting and they do it. And so if you say you get a lot of homegrown guys that are coming from these small towns where they're stars is that an advantage for those teams who have the ability to kind of be the big show in the state? Like I think about North Carolina and what Coach Brown has done in terms of bringing in a bunch of North and South Carolinians. Is that an advantage? Does that change the way you're recruiting footprint lands? If you can build out the infrastructure to really kill it in the NIL
4: landscape? You would think it would because it's almost like becomes this kind of feeder system, like it, not an echo chamber, but necessarily you know, you can say to that kid, look, your alma mater, I guess was about a year ago, got a five-star defensive back, ended up coming to school early. And now all of a sudden, I think you can show not just him, but you can show the people from his high school and the people who probably in all his, that region, who probably looked up to him, How this is how we have benefited him. Yeah. And it's more than just like, for a lot of times, I feel like, especially with us in the media, we kind of have dumbed it down to the point where, oh, can can this school get them to the league? Now think about it, whereas what else can this school do for this athlete in addition to helping them get a degree, in addition to developing some other skills? Now I think it can be really significant. It's a good point you're making because it's honestly one that I don't know if a lot of us in the media think in terms of like on that degree of just – Yes, it can be a recruiting benefit or a recruiting asset, but also I think how it can also, you know, one of the things you'd asked me about was, uh, you know, how schools are talking about it. I know some coaches are very skittish about it because they are worried about how it might affect the power structure of their program, meaning coaches up here, players are down there. I don't know if they all look at it that way. I know a few do, and it's it's kind of a... I don't know if it's a crude, you know, example of it, but I think they also are worried about like little, uh, like you know, potential nightmare scenarios in the locker room of how does this affect team chemistry, of who's making mm-hmm. this money and and how and not only who's making this money, but who do they think, who do the players think we are putting our our might behind? And I don't know. That's why I said I don't know the answer to this yet, and I don't know if anybody does about how schools can they cater to uh, 85 scholarships, you know, I mean, is that really going to be how it's going to matter? Are they going to really cater to five? Are they going to cater to to 10 and be very strategic in that? That's something that I think coaches are a little leery of at this point.
3: Yeah. What it sounds like, Bruce, it sounds like just like we've seen a change in the dynamics of the recruiting staff and the coaching staff with some teams going to the NFL model, it sounds like there's going to have to be a liaison that handles the marketing and the football stuff, like someone that is really tied in and connected that understands how to deal with that. You talk about 85 scholarship. Can you have 85 different quote unquote marketing plans for those guys on your team? Because there is going to be potentially some, I won't say discord, but everyone is going to be looking at, the haves and the have nots who are the guys that are getting the big marketing deals versus who's not and why is this person getting this and i may be a better player and all this it it does sound like it could be a bit of a headache
4: it could and also i think back to this like there's a uh, a, a deal that's gone on in the past couple of years this personnel symposium where like the top recruiting analysts in the country would meet they didn't meet this past year because of pandemic but the previous couple of years they did in nashville and they would all get together and I remember Mark Pantoni, who's a longtime recruiting guy for Urban Meyer, was at Florida now at Ohio State, was talking about the way they message. And it's not really him, it's like people under him in terms of how they connect and keep connecting with recruits with through Instagram. And it's like almost subliminal advertising to keep getting, you know, the Buckeye logo, or, or just so it's almost like they're they're bombarding these. Uh, these 16, 17-year-olds with it, you know, I don't know, on a daily basis because they know it's effective and they know probably other schools are, are competing for that. So think about it through that prism where you're saying they're going to have to have liaisons. I think you're right, because I think what really you're going to start getting into are people who probably are not versed normally in the college football certainly not coaches. Now there may be coaches who may be more savvy about how to deal with social media. Like I, I know, you know, there's an assistant at OU, Roy Manning, who I think he's a defensive uh, backs coach. He was at Washington state. And I remember seeing, he would do these little viral videos of himself in a car, kind of like just to get people fired up. And then he went to UCLA and I see he still does it at Oklahoma. I know there are guys and maybe there's one or two on every staff who are, very, who are pretty savvy and have a good feel for social media but by and large when you're talking about leveraging these other things this is a different skill set that i i have no doubt like schools are already hiring people that they feel like are versed in name image and likeness i think there's also going to be um you know they're going to have to be somebody who is football people who are tied to it as well how do you manage it how are we just like what you said the nfl model like right now because of the portal especially um and the one-time transfer rule you hear a lot of, okay, roster management. That's a term. I don't know when I first heard it in college football. I've heard it a lot lately. Um, And that is something that is relatively new in terms of how hands-on they are. So now you're going to take this other part of it. and I think they're going to have to be really hands-on with that too.
3: No, it's funny. You you, you naturally took me to where I wanted to go with the transfer portal because now I am seeing uh, a shift in how teams are recruiting. It used to be all about the high school kids and, now, but now it appears to be guys are plucking people out of the transfer portal combined with what you get from the high school thing. And I just wonder, how is this going to affect the recruiting going forward, particularly for the high school kids that are coming out? Because there appear to be fewer spots maybe that may be available for them than in the past.
4: Absolutely. Look, I mean, Texas State to me, Jake Spavitol, who is at Texas A&M, West Virginia coach, he um, has taken the approach, look, this is year three for him. I think he knows there's also pressure on him that they're looking, he needs to win soon. I don't know if he's t- if he's going to take five of the 25 are going to be high school players. Almost all of them are going to be transfers because I think they know we need to win. And I'll, there's a lot more pressure on coaches to win now. And I think if you use the example of, uh, a lot of teams used to take maybe five offensive linemen in a class, and a lot of those guys would be developmental. Even if you have, you know, unless you have Jonathan Ogden coming out of high school, most high school offensive linemen are at least going to take a year before they're ready. Maybe they may take three years before they're ready. A lot of times, coaches. And then it's still a roll of the dice. How are these kids' bodies going to respond to either having to lose 30 pounds or gain 50 or, or whatnot? Whereas if especially if you're a power five program, I think you could go back as we've seen this where they could go take a top FCS offensive lineman or a Mac offensive lineman or a Sunbelt offensive lineman who may be a guard and maybe he's, he doesn't have ideal length, maybe you and, you and DJ would be like, eh, he's a free agent. You know, he's one, but they list him at 6'3". He's 290, but he's been in the weight room a lot, but he started for two years. You can roll the dice on that guy because he's probably smart enough to play guard or maybe center for you. He's not going to be a tackle, doesn't have great length. But in college, for the most part, you can get by with that guy because you probably won't have a lot of mental mistakes because he's played a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think what you've seen, I could name like a dozen off my head who are guys who went from smaller schools to big programs because those schools know, hey, he may not be an All-American, but it'll probably start for us and he won't have a bunch of mental mistakes. And he will also probably be good in the room. And so I think you'll see people rolling the dice on those kids. I also think you'll see kid, you've, you've seen teams always roll the dice on, you know, the former four star quarterback who got jumpy and was like, maybe wasn't a great fit or maybe this or that we'll roll the dice on him. Cause maybe, maybe it will work out. And so I, you know, I think there's so many examples of that. And then the, the other part of this is a lot of times kids see, oh, I had this many offers out of high school. They don't know that just cause school X and the big 12 offered them out of high school. They may know that school may not have a spot for you now. So just because they, they were interested in you two or three years ago, that may, that, you know, that may not be there. And so I think there's going to be a bunch of players who do not have scholarship spots landing anywhere, depending on what the word is out about them.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
1: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
0: Yeah, no, it's funny because you, you talk about
3: that because it is a bit of a game of musical chairs and it's always been that way for quarterbacks. And I kind of want to go down the road of when it comes to recruiting quarterbacks, because so many guys do get jumping and they are leaving. How are coaches changing their approaches when it comes to bringing in a quarterback or two in a recruiting class? Do they expect one of those to stay or do you just hey, we always just going to keep recruiting quarterbacks because we know these guys are, are subject to lead.
4: I think they know the latter because I think for a lot of guys, and I've talked to some coaches who be like, this is the best quarterback room we've had in in years because you look at it and goes, okay, we got two guys competing for the starting job who both can play. And maybe you have a third guy who's a talented freshman who either was early enrollee or was just had his freshman year. And then they, we like who we just got committed. So, you know, yeah, you feel like you have four. The reality is if you make the decision of who's going to be the starter, you probably lost that other kid who could play. Mm. And then if you go with the younger player, if it's between a a sophomore and a senior, you may lose the freshman because he's like, I'm not going to sit for three years. So now all of a sudden you're really down to one scholarship quarterback. And I think that kind of, that's another aspect of roster management. But I think those are the considerations because you almost never see the quarterback who is Mac Jones who stayed and stayed, and even though people were like, you know, now we got Bryce Young's in the pipeline, you're probably not going to play here. He's, to me, the exception of the guy. And I'm not saying he's the only one who's done it, but you just see a lot of times guys don't want to wait or they just feel like, you know what, the handwriting's on the wall. And that happens so much, especially because quarterbacks, I think they know it's different if you're a receiver, if you're a a defensive lineman, you can get in the rotation. There's really not a rotation to get into if you're a quarterback. So you either either get playing time or you don't.
3: Yeah, no, it's funny when you, you think about playing time and how important it is in the development of the quarterbacks. We want to see those guys. And playing time was an issue at the end of the season when it came time to bowl season. We were seeing more guys opt out of bowl games now more than ever. And I believe that was part of the driving force behind the talks of the expansion of the playoff system. Uh, What are your thoughts on college football potentially expanding to 12 teams when it comes to the playoffs?
4: I, I think Bucky, so much of it is the power brokers of the sport realize that, you know what come late October, definitely November, a lot of games for each league that normally would be, must see TV. People don't care because right now, you know, ESPN or, or even Mm -hmm. Fox, whoever's doing games is really only focused in on who are the top six teams. Cause that's, who's has a shot to get in the playoff. It's basically playoff or bust. So that USC Oregon game, where both teams probably have two losses into early, um, November or whatever, or, you know, you could pick this, you know, the game in the big 12, it may have conference implications, but like if Iowa state wins, no, they're not going to the playoff or if, or if um, you know, Penn state wins, unfortunately, you know, for, for them, they have two losses, you know, so you pick the schools, they could be top 10, they could be around 15. That game should be a big game. And it's not unless you're a fan of those schools. And I think the power brokers of the sport, including the TV people, you know, made the realization this is not great for everybody it's you know it's good for alabama it's good for clemson and maybe it's good for ohio state sometimes after that it doesn't work out great and i think it doesn't work out great for the big 12 it doesn't work out great sometimes for the big 10 certainly for the pac-12 and it really doesn't work out great for the group of five because they had been marginalized even further when you see cincinnati had a really good team last year and they were kind of had a glass ceiling you know, no matter what they did, it was not going to help them. And so this will, I think, like most people think, this will bring in a lot more money. And obviously, after the pandemic, the financial concerns are even more than they normally are.
3: You know, but it, it appears like they're trying to kick the can down the road. Like they're talking about waiting four or five years before this goes in. Bruce, in my mind, this has to happen ASAP because you're going to lose the interest of a lot of kids who will just go on and forego their last couple games and, and get into the league. In your mind, when do you think this system could be set up and actually implemented?
4: From what I understand, the earliest it could go in is is basically 2023 because they've kind of committed to this bowl cycle. And one of the things that, you know, I, I've covered college football for 20 years and I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around how um, i trying to think of like a not, nasty way of saying it like how beholden the college football power brokers are to the bowl games Mm -hmm. and where it seems nonsensical after a while but they are and even when they try to you know they just can't quit them you know kind of thing where it becomes like irrational now maybe they can they look and say hey we're going to go to the open market and see what kind of bidding war we can get for a 12 team playoff five years from now and maybe that will be a lot of money but as you said you know, when you put that carrot out there, and you have to wait four years for it, um, you know that's going to people. You know, I don't know. I, this is not me because I will. You know, I'll watch. I was watching mm-hmm. FCS games and you know two months ago. But I think there are a bunch of football fans, whether they're NFL fans or college, they're football fans who are like, you know what? Call me when you have the twelve teams, and you know I'm good with seeing. You know, I've seen I've seen this movie before with Alabama and Clemson. I don't. You know, I'm not. May, I'll watch it maybe. Probably, but I think they're you know when LSU had that role two years ago, that got people excited. There was some mm-hmm. new energy there, and I think people want that um, around the sport. And as you said, I, I'm with you. I'm I kind of thought the way they talked about it, being the, the power brokers of the sport, they sounded like there was a lot of momentum. And I'm sure there's some momentum, but the way they handle the PR of college football playoff is mind boggling. It's just a really, um, just a, they're kind of idiots about it. You know, there's no other way to say it. They do stuff. And then you find out you're like, that makes no sense. It makes no sense. And if you had anybody who really cared about the sport, who was driving the PR aspect of it, they could figure out a roadmap to roll this out much better than what you guys did, where you just kind of like, dumped a bunch of stuff on the table, then walked away and tried to say, okay, everybody else figure it out for a while. I mean, it just it makes no sense.
3: It, it, it really doesn't make any sense. I'm hoping that somehow they, they can figure it out. Because I, I believe if you look at the college basketball model where March Madness is big, a lot of times we don't even really talk about the champion. The big thing is, can you be in the final four? And I think if you can create a situation for coaches where the playoffs are viewed as special in terms of, a you don't win it, but you're a playoff team. It allows you maybe to put a banner up in the stadium saying that you're a playoff participant. I think it kind of changes the stuff. And I think we all want to see these games that matter down the stretch. And with the tenuous nature of, I would say, the purse strings and the amount of money that's going to coaches and those things, they have to be able to, I would think if I'm a coach, I have to be able to kind of validate why I'm making this money. If I can get a playoff team, if I can get my team to the playoffs, I think it will do something to kind of push that narrative like oh we do have a good coach we don't need to move it on because right now it's really four and done if you're not into four you're not going to do it and it's three of the four that are the same every year
4: right and I, I look and i think there's a few schools that maybe it's like national title or bust you know look lsu is one of those because the last mm-hmm. coaches have been there have all won national titles less one one yeah one, obviously oseran one one but beyond that and ohio state i think you know, if you're Ohio, Oklahoma now, you're like, okay, Lincoln Riley's hat gotten us there a few times. Can we get over the hump? But if you're Penn State, if you're yeah. Oregon, if and Oregon's been there at the beginning, but it, but they've been down for a little bit mm-hmm. now you know if you are if you florida hasn't been there if you are look at your alma mater if yeah. they got there that would be a huge deal if miami got there even though miami's won a bunch of national titles it's been a long time that would be a huge deal it would be a huge deal for texas because i think all these even these blue blooded programs have been in the in the dark and in the shadows for a while because that's the the stuff that matters now it's the only stuff that really matters
3: it is, and so now when it comes to mattering in college football, it's all about the quarterback. Uh, as NFL fans or whatever, we 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 always love the quarterback. You have an opportunity this weekend at Elite Eleven, not only to see the next generation of quarterbacks in terms of the high schoolers, but there are going to be some interesting NFL prospects that are there. I think Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, all those guys are scheduled to be there. What do you know about those guys?
4: Uh so we'll start with Malik Willis. So I did some story for the athletic where I spent a bunch of time talking to uh to NFL position coaches mostly. And at one point, one of the guys I talked to said, you know, this is they're gonna be a quarterback draft, a quarterback heavy draft class, because I'm not really sure. I don't know if people are sold on what's coming out next. They're like, you know, Sam how some people like him, some people love him, but you don't feel the same way quite that you had with Trevor Lawrence. seemed like a no brainer. Justin Fields mm-hmm. felt like kind of a no brainer. You knew Trey Lance might come out. And you knew there was a lot of stuff to like about him. After Sam Howell, you start getting into mm, I don't know about Keaton Slovis. You know he had a kind of a rough year last year. He's got some injuries. You know you wonder. And then this one guy said, you know the Mar- the uh, Liberty quarterback is interesting, and I was surprised because. All I, you know, I've seen Malik Willis play. I knew he could run and I knew he had a a good arm, but I didn't know. I'll be honest. I watched him for one game and the book on him from the people around Auburn was he can't throw. So you got a guy who quote, a lot of people had the perception can't throw. And then you start talking to people. And I called a couple of the coordinators who played him this year, the, uh, the defense coordinator, the coastal Carolina, who, by the way, he was like, they beat they held uh, zach wilson to 17 points and he was like he was like well equal like we'll to single-handedly beat us uh, i talked to tony gibson from nc state they did a really good job of containing him he's like but i had nightmares watching that that kid on film he has a cannon for an arm then you talk to uh quincy avery who we both know pretty well as mm-hmm. an NBA 11 coach quincy's been around <laughs> some you know he spent a lot of time with trey lance Um, I don't know, I I defer to you on this. Trey Lance, one of the strongest if not the strongest arm in this quarterback class, right? Yeah. And he said, no doubt, this kid has a much bigger arm than Trey Lance. You know, he's seen those guys throw it. From what I understand, Trey Lance made the comment. So all those are great. He's toolsy, I get it. He can run. Uh, People like his work ethic. People like that he's humble. I know that Liberty guys really speak highly of it. So now can he clean up his game even more? Um and can he can he keep advancing? I, I think he's a really he's one of the most interesting quarterbacks out there because of his physical skill set and because of the the way he's responded from people writing him off coming out of Auburn. I think that's really cool. And so we'll see where he goes um from here.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring.
6: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
4: What's up? I'm John Wall.
5: And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year, <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: You mentioned Sam Howell. I mean, I remember liking him when he was a quarterback at the Elite 11. I know DJ mentioned mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield. He actually looked a little like Baker Mayfield yeah. back then, right? And he had a little of the, of the juice to him, you know, where you just kind of mm-hmm. watch him. He had a chip on his shoulder a little bit. He's in a really good system for him. I think... Uh, you know, talking to coaches in that league. So he lost two terrific running backs, two terrific receivers. Now I know Deami Brown's younger brother, I heard dynamite and can fly. um, And there's, there's still some good skill guys, but now, now it's his show entirely. And I want to see how he does with that. I mean, I'd be surprised if he's not an all American. It wouldn't shock me if he won the Heisman, you know, I think he's, he's that good. Right. And look, I mean, There's enough guys back there where I could see him putting up huge numbers. I could, I would definitely see him as a first round kind of guy. And then the other two guys, you know, I know DTR is going to be there. We both have seen Brian Thompson Robinson for probably five years. He's a former receiver who played one year, a high school quarterback. It's pretty coming out of his hands. He can run. He's intelligent. The thing with him from talking to coaches who faced him, they're like, he's a little bit of an enigma where sometimes he looks great and sometimes it's like, are you trying to be Superman on every play? You know? And, um, I feel like you is close to being really good. I'm not saying close to being a playoff team, but I think they're close to being like a top 20 kind of team. And if he can be, if he can clean up the mistakes and maybe play within himself a little more and just let the game come to him more, I think he can have a great year. Um, you know, and so uh, of that group, Who's the fourth one again? It's DTR. No,
3: like no. this is a great pause because I want to have a separate conversation on Spencer Rattler Mm -hmm. from Oklahoma. I can't remember if he's going to be there or not. But yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of conversation about Spencer Rattler. There's a lot of conversation about him being the number one guy in this class. I remember a few years ago in Dallas, I want to say he was the Elite 11 MVP, hotshot arm. I got a chance to watch him on QB1. And there were things that you like, but there were also – not red flags, but things that you just kind of raised the eyebrow, eyebrow, eyebrow about when it came to his personality and those more
4: demeanor than skill set. Right.
3: Yeah. So when you've been around the program or you talk to people around Oklahoma, what do they say about the intangible? Because the game is off the charts. But what do they say about the intangible
4: qualities that he's shown? You know, there was an interesting comparison. One of the guys on the staff made. I said there's a story I did a couple of weeks ago about like the guys I would buy stock in. These are kind of breakout players and i said K- who would be that guy at oklahoma and this guy said he mentioned mario williams who's a young receiver but he was like the guy i want to give you is spencer rattler but i know you already think he's out there and i was like okay well you know kind of sell me on this and the guy said listen he's at the exact same stage in his career in his point in the system at oklahoma as kyler murray was when kyler murray made a huge jump in terms of from spring to season And he said his command of the offense and way, way more decisive. Like we see a difference now they got really good. They got really good receivers. Mm -hmm. And I think they, they are much better. Like they didn't have Kennedy Brooks last year. He's opt, you know, he's back in, they got a really good transfer running back from Tennessee who the guys at Tennessee really liked and the guys at Oklahoma really liked. So I think this is set up very well for Spencer Rattler. I think that the thing that, you alluded to, which is something I think people get a little bit of a feel for it is. Um, and I don't think you, you're necessarily saying the quarterback needs to be humble or the quarterback needs to, there is something there that I think has rubbed a few, you know, a few people the wrong way over time. I have not heard that from people inside of Oklahoma, this off yeah. season, they seem to really feel like he has a chance to, to uh, really have a huge season. what, you know, I'm trying to separate like all the the pre-draft stuff that happens a year out. Mm-hmm. I feel like that stuff gets maybe baked before, you know, it's ready. Um, and I wonder if some of that is was a five star, and we've seen Lincoln Riley do this time and time again. So we're gonna we're gonna hedge our bets on that as opposed to what do we really see that's so unique about it? Because not Spencer's not very big.
3: No, right. he's not. He's not, he's not very big. He, he he's he's kind of skinny and wiry. He does he's, have he, talent. He's he's not a great
4: athlete. I think he's yeah, a good a athlete. Tyler, not great. You know, yeah, Tyler, yeah. So I'm I'm curious as to like what you guys and and you know your colleagues see as saying. Like like I get why Trey Lance was like ended up where he mm-hmm. went uh, because yeah, there's some consistency issues. But he's six three two thirty, has a huge arm. People rave about his intangibles who've coached him and worked with him. He's also fast enough where when things don't go great, you know, he could do the same, some of the same stuff Josh Allen did with the Bills when he was a rookie, when he didn't have anything around him. And like the intangibles part, like all the, like I would, and it's, again, it's not my money, but I would miss on that kid. I would be willing to go, okay, I'm going to take yeah. my chance on that because there's enough stuff because of the work ethic, because of the football smarts, because of the the demeanor and the temperament and the physical whether the consistency is there with some of these other ones, it's a little more let the buyer beware kind of thing. You know, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, yeah,
3: it's a a tough one and I might be a little too close to it. Like having coached at the elite 11 and coached against him. um, There is something to be said for like too cool for school type attitude and demeanor. Like there's a bit of that, that kind of maybe just stuck out now when you're around all these quarterbacks, when they're like, 16, 17, 18, like they all think they're kind of like. Did Kyler have that, that back then? Did you think Kyler um, that? See, I, I felt like with Kyler, what was different is like, Kyler was quiet and he had that, look, man, I know I'm the guy because I've done it on a big time stage at Texas. Like, this is what we do. We win. Spencer was more vocal and overt with it. And I felt like there were times when a mistake was made he wouldn't own it. It always was something else. And and maybe that's part of me being like a coach, a high school coach that I'm like, come on, dude, just own this so we can move on as opposed to like, oh, no, it's this, it's that or whatever. And so, look, first impression, I'm hoping I can get passes or whatever, but it was very, very similar to like how I felt with other guys. And it just kind of sits in you, you guys. So I, I'll, I'll be excited to kind of get around them. And see if that's changed. And also to see what it looks like this year for Oklahoma. Because to be honest, he's only played one real year at Oklahoma. Right. So and it was, this a weird, a it was a
4: weird year too, by the way. Yeah, right. a weird year. So, MMA, so Funky offseason.
3: Yeah. So this would be a chance for us to really see it. I want to get you out of here on this because you wrote a, uh, a piece in The Athletic on Trent Dilfer's quarterback. Tell me about Trent Dilfer's quarterback and what's so unique about him.
4: So this is Luther Richardson and his dad. First of all, the pedigree is is fascinating. The dad was a longtime NFL strength coach, Luke Richardson, who was with the Texans and with the Broncos. And um, and I'll say this first: it like, so when I talked to Trent and Joey Roberts and Joey's Trent's right hand man, and you know him well from mm-hmm. Eleven. Um, one of the things they talked about was the how the relationship came to be, and, he, and Trent didn't know luke richardson the dad but he he started calling around because he knows a lot of people around the nfl and people were raving about him my story went up sometime sunday it's basically 24 hours ago from when we were talking i can't tell you how many people either former players that i know or guys around the league who i know a little bit i'm not saying these are like guys i'm that close to but i've gotten texts from people that i know who are like love the dad he was he's he's special I'm not at all surprised that he's raised the kid who you wrote about. And so so there's that's the dad. The mom, Anita, was an Olympic world record holder in swimming at 15. Right. So Amazing. think about those two sports, by the way. So, you you know, it's like you got to put in a lot of miles. Obviously, you have to be a great athlete, but you have to put in a lot of miles to be uh, an Olympic world record holder as a 15 year old swimmer. And a strength coach. So, you know, like kind of the discipline, kind of like what mm-hmm. come out of that in a positive way. Um, and so when he was when he was 12, his dad was the, was the strength coach of the Broncos and he's around Peyton Manning a lot and they go to win the Super Bowl. And so he was like, you know, I didn't know I I was a little too young to know everything, but he could observe the leadership skills and some of those other traits that he saw around the team because he was around the team a lot. So he put that to heart. He said he was watching a documentary on the Elite 11. And as you know, as you know, being around it, they've run a bunch of documentaries. And he was fascinated by Trent. The parents were. The dad and mom were looking for something different. They were living in the in the Denver area. And they Googled Trent Dilfer and saw that he'd actually just taken a job at this private Christian uh, high school in the Nashville area. They wrote a letter to admissions It eventually got to Trent. Trent did some calls. He was like, all right, I'm going to take a chance on this kid. And they have piled so much on his plate because Trent was like, you know what? This kid seems to handle everything. And he's just got a great capacity to work. What also is now unique about him in in the era of 2021, he has no social media presence at all. No Snapchat, no TikTok, no Instagram. Uh, Dilfer and Joey Roberts convinced him you should at least start a... Twitter profile just so coaches can DM you. So he did that. He's not really tweeted anything, but that's a pipeline for coaches to reach out to him. The other thing is he doesn't leave like he doesn't want to leave his team They are because they're there's the way their school set up. He can practice and run those workouts and work out with them and be around the coaches. So he is not camped anywhere. So so you take this odd recruiting year that it's been where people haven't been able to really leave their campus. And now for the past month of June, where all these, you know, college kids, uh, college recruits have been all over the country. He hasn't. So he did go to one elite 11 workout uh, in Indianapolis and did really well. He got a ticket to the finals. I think he's ranked 56th among quarterbacks by two, four, seven. But I did talk to a power five coach who watched his film. He was like. Really excited about him. He's six You know, I'm not saying he's going to be Peyton Manning. I'm not saying they're saying he's going to be uh, he's going to be Trey Lance. But he's a very he has a very interesting story. And as Joey put it, it's a really interesting case study because so many of these quarterbacks that are around at elite eleven spend a lot of their downtime downtime in with their heads buried in their cell phones on social media. And this kid doesn't do any of it.
3: Well, it's a fascinating thing to watch. Can't wait to see him work out this weekend. Can't wait to see you because I know you'll be down at the event. We'll get a chance to catch up in person. Not only talk about these high school kids, we'll talk about the college guys and everything that's going on around college football. You want the best to do it. Bruce Feldman, thanks so much for coming on the Moodle 6 podcast.
4: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bucky.
3: As you'd expect, man, Bruce has all of the insight and the intel. Great conversation on Name, image, and likeness. Uh, We talked about the transfer portal, but more importantly, we talked about these quarterbacks and who to watch, particularly Malik Willis from Liberty. This should be an exciting college football season, so I know we're going to have to bring Bruce back on later to talk about it all. Um, So that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for checking out Move the Sticks. Make sure you check out our videos on NFL.com slash MTS video. Until next time, it's Move the Sticks. I'm Bucky Brooks.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring